to When We Were Young, the podcast that hacks into the past to see if your favorite movies, music, books, TV shows, and teen beat heartthrobs of the 80s and 90s should be saved or moved into the trash. <laughs> I'm Chris, aka Righteous Click, your podcast host most likely to be somehow connected to the worm that's stealing the money. <laughs> I'm Beyond Burgers, the host <laughs> most likely to have just gotten a wake-up call from the Nintendo generation. And I'm cold open, and I'm the podcast host most likely to think there's no right or wrong, only fun and boring. So much attitude in this opening. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Never been happier. <laughs> this is part two of our 1995 cyber extravaganza in which we are surfing the net, zooming down the information superhighway. <laughs> caught in the World Wide Web, and other very dated, surprisingly action-oriented euphemisms for what is actually just <laughs> staring at a screen and pushing some buttons. <laughs> we just talked all about the net in our previous episode, and we are now moving on to the movie Hackers. But first, we will take a moment to praise ourselves via a new podcast review. Ooh. You've got mail. This one comes from Gnome B, and it is titled Great Banter, Filled with Laughs and Hilarity, and it is a five-star review. That's the right number of stars. It is. Gnome B says, You all have such energy, excitement, and love for what you're covering. I love how you all interact, laugh, and cover these generational topics that surround our time growing up amongst pop culture and cult classic culture. Keep it up and remember, don't put salt in your eye. Don't put salt in your eye. Don't put salt in your eye. Put salt in your eye. Hugs to Becky. <laughs> Hi, Gnome. Yes, I know Gnome. Becky, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> I was just about to ask you guys, what does that mean? <laughs> I know Gnome from high school, so thank you, Gnome. Um, I'm so happy that you're listening to our podcast. I don't understand the last line of your review, though. <laughs> Again, Gnome, thank you very much for your warm and generous review. I am fearful that you have now cast a hex or a spell on us of some sort. I'm wondering, <laughs> should we indeed put salt in our eyes to protect ourselves from the curse what are what are your instructions here gnome well you might want to after watching hackers but uh we'll get there <laughs> again thank you gnome that's a very kind review and much appreciated we welcome reviews from all gnomes gnome chomsky if you're <laughs> listening and i can only presume that you are listening please send us a five-star review so before we really begin i thought we could use a refresher from the 90s on how the internet works <laughs> It's so easy. <laughs> Courtesy the Today Show, as well as a video from 1987 called Kids Guide to the Internet. Please enjoy these very informative videos. There it is. <laughs> Violence at NBC GE com. I mean, well, what Allison should know. What, what do you is say internet about anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network, mm -hmm. the one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's how does one? What do you write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. It, I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Oh, <laughs> oh. Allison will be in the studio shortly. What, is, what does it mean? It's a, it's a giant computer network made up made up of uh, started from. Oh, I thought you were going to tell us what this was. It's like a, look a computer in the billboard. It's, it's not in it. It's it, it's it's a computer billboard, but it's nationwide, right. and it's, it's several uh, universities and everything all joined together. And right. And others can access it. And, right. And it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. Just great. Today, we're going to be showing our friends, Andrew and Lisa, the basics of the internet. Hey, Andrew, what's up? <laughs> well, now it's time to get online. Here we go. Surfing? That sounds pretty cool already. What are web addresses? What do search engines do? How do we decide which search engine to use? Yahoo, I've heard of that. <laughs> Can we look at it? Does your computer have a modem? What's a browser? Would that just be mtv.com? What about if I want to do my own homepage? What's a web page? Something ducks lock on? 
Okay, so tell us, what does download mean? Want to write a letter to President Clinton? Would he answer us? Let's tell him how much we love the internet. Dear Mr. President. <laughs> that was definitely cool. Thanks, dude. Bye. Absolutely. See you on the net. Call me the minute you get an email address. Yeah. Surf's up. See you on the net. The net is fabulous. Yeah, the Kids Guide to the Internet one is just, it's kind of like the AOL commercial. It's just like really corny. Like parents being like, our kids are learning so much. So 1995 turned out to be a peak year for both the internet itself rolling out to consumers and also movies about the internet and technology, including the net, which we already talked about, and uh, a surprising number of other movies that just happened to all come out in the same year. First up was Johnny Mnemonic, uh, which came out in May of 1995. I, I did that thing that I do where I watch all the movies. That thing you do! And... Gosh, this is a weird one. Um, I sent you guys some clips of this movie because I did not want to um, completely ruin whatever day you chose to watch it uh, with the full movie. Um, So I guess this movie stars Keanu Reeves. Um, I guess it stars Keanu Reeves, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's the right way to put it. Uh, He, I guess it's like a future where you put information like files in your brain and that's how you transport them. So I guess he has that in his head. And so people are trying to kill him and get his information. Um, It was a little weird because like the film opens in Beijing with like rioting in the streets and people are wearing masks and there's like a worldwide disease going on. And I think this takes place in like 2021 or something. So um, accurate. Well done. Okay, that is kind Uh, of weird. That is kind of weird. This is a, a story based on a story from uh, cyberpunk creator William Gibson. Um, it was one of the first movies to use internet marketing. So um, they were really going for a thing. Um, but I don't know what that is because Keanu <laughs> Reeves' performance is so Nicolas Cagey. Listen. You listen to me. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last month's newspapers blowing back and forth. I've had it with them. I've had it with you. I've had it with all this. I want room service. Oh my god. Chris, the clips that you sent, I was like, were these cold read? takes of the script in this movie they were not outtakes those are in the movie i can this, confirm this was that the, this was the table read <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> honestly it was like a sub table read performance i have always liked keanu reeves i think now that he's a very compelling action star as far as his acting ability goes good lord his acting is impenetrably terrible actively bad in this movie I mean, you need to tell some, you need to like bring up, oh, Keanu Reeves was good in this movie because generally he's not the best actor. That's true. And I'm never like watching a Keanu Reeves performance, like thinking I'm going to get, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis or (laughs) anything close to that. But like, I've also never seen him be this ridiculous. (laughs) That's the thing thing, is it's like as, as many times as I've heard people say what a shitty actor Keanu Reeves is. Other than uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, no other <laughs> oh, performance yeah. has ever gotten as as it has ever served as proof positive of that. Uh, other than this one, just holy shit. Well, the thing is, is like he's usually like criticized for being like too wooden and like kind of like surfer bro in his movies, mm-hmm. and it doesn't like always fit every role. Um, AKA, uh, <laughs> please see Dracula for that. Um, But in this one, he's actually, like, going way over the top. Yes. (laughs) And it's not working. I mean, he does this delivery of the line, I need a computer, which, like, this is a podcast, so I can't show you the hand motions that he does. But that couldn't have been an on-the-fly choice. Like, that, that had to be, like, directed in that way for some reason. You got parents and stuff? Yeah. Once. But I haven't seen them in years. Yeah. 
Anyways, I don't think about it much, okay? Well, what do you think about? When you're alone. I think. I want to get out of this rat hole. I want to get online. I need a computer! It's just real weird. And the whole movie is is like really like campy, like almost winkingly. Like there's a Jesus figure in the movie played by Dolph Lundgren for no real reason. Like he doesn't really seem to have that much to do with the story. Or with Jesus. <laughs> no. And that in the end of the movie, like you think the movie's kind of over and then like the characters turn around and he just like is there and he goes, Jesus time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I almost like wish that we were watching this movie together as well because it is a fun like campy movie for at least these scenes but it's a weird one. I mean, I was expecting something <laughs> much more like The Lawnmower Man, which I guess is also campy too, but it's also like more like boringly terrible and this is quite interestingly terrible. <laughs> in fact, in such a way that I'm not sure I would call it terrible, I would just say it's a curiosity. <laughs> It's a curio, if you will. It's a rave review. <laughs> Moving on to Virtuosity, which was released in August of 95. This one stars Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. I also did the thing where I watched the movie for this. <laughs> this one wasn't bad. Hmm. I'm a 50 terabyte self-evolving neural network double backflip off the high platform. I'm not a swan dive. And I have to tell you, Killing for real? It was a real rush. Oh my god. Which god would that be? The one who created you, or the one who created me? You see, in your world, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but in my world, the one who gave me life doesn't have any balls. Basically, the plot is a virtual reality serial killer who's basically been ingested with hundreds of serial killers' personalities, like as a training exercise for cops, gets brought to life. And so then they're dealing with him in the real world, and he's like a cyborg. This is also a weird movie. Not great, but like at least better made. It's the same director as The Lawnmower Man. Hmm. So he has improved and he has also cast his movie much better because Russell Crowe is having a great time playing a serial killer. <laughs> yes, truly. He's designed very much like a Ken doll um, and is, I don't know, it's like weird because like I think we're used to like a more like doughy Russell Crowe of like the gladiator <laughs> yes. and post years. We're used to doughy Crowey. <laughs> and this is almost like a hunky Russell Crowe, which I'm not so used to. Yeah, I think he was still very studly in LA Confidential, but he was definitely much younger here. And just watching these clips, you can see he had a hell of a good time making this movie. Good, good for Russell. Good for him. <laughs> Yeah, another movie touching on virtual reality was Strange Days, which was released in October, which was written by James Cameron and directed by Catherine Bigelow, starring very fine Angela Bassett. I'm not going to talk too much about this movie because this is an actual, like, good movie and doesn't have a ton to do with the internet, but it does do a lot of, like, virtual reality stuff with, like, discs that let you experience moments from people's lives. And so it definitely, like, fits in with, like, the theme that was going on with Virtuosity and Johnny Mnemonic if not so much about like the internet itself. Yes, and I don't know if we'll cover Strange Days on a future episode of the podcast, but I definitely recommend it to everyone who's a sci-fi fan. It's very much a cyberpunk style of movie in visuals and tone, and it's more about virtual reality than the internet, but it's a great movie in a real modern cult sci-fi classic, I think. Yeah, it's really hard to find, unfortunately. I hope that it gets its due one day. It will when I finally see it. <laughs> All right, we're, we're pledging to do it on the podcast at some point. 1995 also saw the release of Ghost in the Shell, the classic uh, Japanese anime set in 2029 about cyborgs and hackers. I haven't seen it, so I can't really say what it's about that much. I couldn't quite tell from the trailer, which was a lot of, you know, action and, and stuff, but it's, it's considered a very um, classic and influential anime. Yeah, I have seen it. It was my intention to rewatch it before this episode, but I just ran out of time. I own Ghost in the Shell on DVD, and there were like a bunch of sequel movies made to the original. There was a show that ran, I think, for probably several seasons worth, also anime. I really always enjoyed Ghost in the Shell. It's very Matrixy in terms of the storytelling mechanics of it, and again, more kind of cyberpunk as opposed to being about the internet 
internet. Yeah, I think The Matrix would be a much closer like comparison point. Yeah, so looking at all these movies, I mean, none of these are anything like The Net or really very much like Hackers either. I find it interesting that there's so much like virtual reality that all like the technology movies of the 90s that supposedly are like kind of touching on things that are going on are actually talking about something that still really isn't a thing i mean i feel like virtual reality has always been like threatening like it's always like it's the next big thing and it's been like that for like 30 years yeah that's really fascinating and honestly we could like do a whole separate episode about that because i've been thinking about that and reading about that a lot lately too Um, You know, because at at this point in the cycle, or at least in this particular cycle of that hype, um, it seems a lot like many of the studios that control the means of production for filmmaking nowadays are the ones trying to push virtual reality. And Chris, like, it's... You, you can't highlight it too much. Like, it's literally virtual reality has been the quote-unquote next big thing for basically all of our lifetimes. <laughs> literally, like, our whole lives. And thinking back, like, even to Disclosure, like, I feel like m- much of that and much of the way that the internet is represented in Disclosure um, and in some of these movies that we'll be talking about here too, like Hackers in particular, I think... Even the concept of the internet itself is kind of seen as one that will be ultimately in service of virtual reality and that kind of literal visual alternate world and landscape that you can go into. Um, And that's just never come about uh, in real life. Or even if it has, even to the degree that it has come about in terms of the technology, it's never a thing that's really come to prominence um, or really kind of very much, very deeply permeated mainstream culture in any real way. Yeah, I think it's so funny that like all these movies thought that they were, you know, being very like of the zeitgeist and yet (laughs) none of them, with the exception of like the way that we talked about the net that did, you know, kind of speak to a lot of real ways that we use the internet now and kind of thought through those obviously a more grounded way but like no one who was like doing these futuristic movies like actually thought about like the internet as we use it like nobody it seems like filmmakers couldn't like imagine what it would be like to just have the internet on a screen like they always had to make it like mm-hmm. a place that you would go and like run around and find Demi Moore in. <laughs> and no one <laughs> predicted like social media or anything like the stuff that's actually, right. you know, what the internet is to us now. And I keep roaming around the internet, and I still don't find Demi Moore. She is hiding. <laughs> she, where is she? Malaysia, maybe. <laughs> Deep cut. <laughs> Kill all Malaysia. That will bring us into Hackers, which was released September 15th, 1995, a few months after the net. Look, you want to be elite? You got to do a righteous hack. None of this accidental shit. Yeah, you want a seriously righteous hack. You score one of those Gibsons, man. You know, supercomputers they use to, like, do physics and look for oil and stuff? Ain't no way, man. Security's too tight. The big iron? Maybe, but if I were going to hack some heavy metal, I'd uh, work my way back through some low security and try the back door. Yeah, but, oh, man, wouldn't you just love get one of those Gibsons, baby? Mm. It stars a very eclectic cast of Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina Jolie, Matthew Lillard, Fisher Stevens, Jesse Bradford, Lorraine Bracco, <laughs> Wendell Pierce, Mark Anthony, Penn Gillette, and Felicity Huffman. God, this cast. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something all right. <laughs> the story follows Dade Zero Cool Murphy, an infamous hacker from the age of 11 who has just turned 18 and is now allowed to use computers again. He's starting at a new school in New York, and he meets a group of other hackers, including Acid Burn, a.k.a. Kate Libby, that's Jolie, and he gets embroiled in a, you guessed it, corporate hacking conspiracy. The film was directed by Ian Softley, who also did The Wings of the Dove, K-Pax, and The Skeleton Key. Oof, K-Pax, jeez. Never saw that one. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Won't. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was written by Raphael Moreau, who did The Rage Carry 2. (laughs) In his research for writing this film, uh, he interviewed a real 22-year-old hacker who'd been put in jail named Fiber Optic. That is not spelled (laughs) the way that you would spell Fiber Optic normally. And he also interviewed his friends who were being harassed by the government. So he actually put a lot of actual, like, hackery stuff in here. 
although the film, as you'll find out in a moment, was not a huge hit, um, the soundtrack was. It featured Underworld, Left Field, and The Prodigy, amongst others, and actually released three full soundtrack albums. So Catherine Heigl was originally offered the Angelina Jolie role, (laughs) which, God, I I do and don't want to see that movie. Mm -hmm. And the film is possibly best known for being uh, the place where Angelina Jolie met Johnny Lee Miller, and they were married in 1986, so just Hmm. shortly after this touching love story. What a meat cute this movie is. <laughs> and what in a, like a lovely wedding with the groom's God. name written in blood on his back. Wow. <laughs> the marriage ended in 1999. Sure this sweet machine's not going to waste. Uh, crash over ride. What was it? Mess with the best. Die like the rest. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Are you challenging me? Name your stakes. If I win, you become my slave. Your slave? You wish. You'll do shit work, scan, crack copyrights, whatever I want. Deal. And if I win? (laughs) Make it my firstborn. Make it our first date. You're not gonna win. And you have to smile. I don't do dates. But I don't lose either. So you're on. The budget for Hackers was $6 million. Its domestic total gross was $7 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oof. It was number four at the box office. Um, other movies in the top five at the moment were Tu Wong Fu, Dangerous Minds, and The Usual Suspects. The Metacritic score is 46, so average-ish, going toward the low side. Roger Ebert gave this three stars and said, The movie is smart and entertaining, as long as you don't take the computer stuff very seriously. I didn't. I took it approximately as seriously as the archaeology in Indiana Jones. (laughs) The Los Angeles Times' David Cronkey had a slightly more sour take and said, All the sound and fury in the world can't disguise the fact that yowling music, typing montages, and computer (laughs) animation do not a gripping finale make this movie megabytes. Wow, I don't know if I like that one more or the screensaver pun from earlier. Oh, the screensaver one is the best. That's that's a good one. Ugh, I hope that guy didn't get hired for any more gigs. Oh, <laughs> boy. Wow, you, you really missed your calling as a 90s film critic. I'm sorry that was such a floppy. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> We're done. All right, guys, what is your history with the movie Hackers? Um, did you did you watch it many times as you did the net, Seth? And what do you think of it now? My hack story is not as extensive as my Netscape. I didn't see Hackers in theaters. I don't really remember there being much hype about it when it came out. I do remember watching it at one point when I was pretty young. Friends of mine in fifth or sixth grade at the time talked about it because of the digital themes, the soundtrack, and Angelina Jolie. (laughs) I definitely remember watching it and being like, who is this really fascinating actress who's also the most gorgeous person ever? (laughs) I was taken by her charisma and her presence as an actor, but I wasn't really a fan of the movie as a whole. I remember not liking Hackers all that much when I was young, and definitely never had the urge to revisit it until I was forced to. (laughs) Until we made you. What about you, Becky? I have no history with this movie because I have vaguely even only heard of it, and then I watched it once with you guys (laughs) for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, my browser history is equally clear (laughs) of this movie. (laughs) No cookies were saved. (laughs) Take that, Seth. Oh my God, guys. Uh, Yeah, I had never seen this movie. I knew that there was a movie called Hackers. At some point, I knew that like it was an early Angelina Jolie joint, but I did (laughs) not have any like real awareness of what this movie was or anything like that. No idea. I think I got it confused with Slacker. Like I, I, I still don't think I know the difference between those two movies. So they could be the same movie. And Sneakers, yeah. (laughs) And Sneakers, yes. All those movies, yeah. All the curves. <laughs> all right. So what do we think about Hackers, you guys? Well, I think we all know what we think about <laughs> Hackers because we watched it together. <laughs> and we sat in awe at the cinematic 
Marvel before us. One of the characters early on in the movie exclaims, shit on me. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I felt like that movie was doing as I was watching it. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me, I... I just wanted to start because the first note I wrote was that the opening sequence of this movie is Johnny Lee Miller packing a TV station when he was a kid. Yeah, when he was like a 12-year-old or something. And the person on the TV station that he's like hacking is a racist white asshole yelling about America first. And I was like, oh, this is getting way too close to home way too early here. This is not 2020 at the RNC. We're supposed to be watching hackers here. But wouldn't you have liked him to hack the RNC? <laughs> that would have made a much more interesting movie, I think. <laughs> well, this movie actually starts with like a close-up of Felicity Huffman as a lawyer, which I just think is funny <laughs> because she is always playing a lawyer and it just does not work anymore. No. <laughs> Maybe that's just besides the point. <laughs> She's not a bastion of law-abidingness. <laughs> um... <laughs> I mean, it tries to get you in the mind of a hacker as they are hacking, but it's written by people who don't know what that is. So it's exactly. just a bunch of montages. <laughs> Every scene in this movie has a montage somewhere in it. Because, well, okay, what hacking really is, is just knowing the right HTML, like <laughs> knowing where to look on a web page and then typing the right thing. And that's not visually interesting. So I get that they need to make that visually interesting, but it just comes across as super dumb. In the movie, they have like, basically you go into computers and they look a lot like <laughs> buildings and, and there's a lot of, you know, like cleverly like mixing you know, the New York City skyline with whatever a computer looks like. I kind of like that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Actually, <laughs> kind of. I kind of dug it. <laughs> but yeah, basically you're going into a lot of like very psychedelic graphics, the same way that like all the movies that we just talked about do, Lawnmower Man. There's a lot of, I don't know exactly how the graphics were made, but CGI looking stuff. Oh yeah, it was definitely like primitive CGI. And yeah, the, the hacking sequences are just incredible. Again, this is definitely one of those movies where their visual cues and styles are as much influenced influenced by virtual reality and where VR technology was at the time as they are about like the ideas of cyberspace. But it's so inherently silly to me because the way that these sequences are all designed and edited, it's clearly made so that people are supposed to think that hackers are like literal gods manipulating space and time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like my big overall question with this movie is are they making fun of hackers and hacker culture or are they trying to appeal to hackers and hacker culture? And I'm not sure that they knew the answer or at least there was like a disconnect between like, you know, the intent of like the original story and then how it was marketed because like it makes them look like they're very over the top. I mean, we haven't really talked about the fashion yet, Oh, <laughs> but like everybody looks like they're going to snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> but like they're going to snowboard like at a rave. <laughs> yes, they're going to rave on the ski slope. What is he doing in here? Relax, Burn. He's my guest. Burn. Your acid burn. You booted me out of OTV. What? I'm crash override. You're the moron that's been invading my turf. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Crash and burn. <laughs> You mentioned hacker lifestyle and culture. Maybe it was because I was 12 in 1995. But like, was there a hacker culture? No. <laughs> I mean, not, not as such. Not in terms of being a set of fashion trends. Um, not in terms of filling stadiums or skating rinks with like hacker parties. That's a thing that's like come about later on. And certainly, you know, like they have software conventions for like hackers to like get together and work on cracking passwords and stuff like that. But hacking was not a fashion style. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a, like an MTV, like Teen Vogue, like dress like a hacker. <laughs> no, I didn't do 
do any research about this movie, but I wondered if like MTV produced this movie or like had something to do with it. Because for me, Becky, like MTV was the big connection I made. It was like, it seems like this movie was literally like pre-packaged and prepared to just like sell lots of soundtracks and like get a lot of MTV moon men. <laughs> and it, yeah, it just seemed like such an MTV style thing that was pretending to be about computer hacking, which is a much less fashion forward, fashion oriented mindset. Well, I think this movie is like conflating a lot of 90s culture into hacker Mm. culture, probably because like hacker culture wasn't enough of a thing and wasn't certainly like known to enough teenagers to quite like, you know, sell a whole movie. I mean, like he did like talk to a lot of hackers. So I actually think there's a lot of stuff in here that is accurate. No, there's not. I I gotta correct that. Um, (laughs) There are a lot of words used that are computer terms, but that have nothing whatsoever to do with any of the actual like hacks that they're doing in the story it's closer to like a Star Trek tech jargon situation where it's like they'll like take an actual word like dilithium or something like that and just completely repackage it and just use it as the space filler. I only make a point of saying that because in the net, actually, uh, one thing I was uh, again surprised about was that the terminology they were using and that like Sandra Bullock's character was using was actually directly related to the technology, like a phone system or a computer system or modems or TCP IP, like all of that stuff. The techno jargon in that movie actually was connected at least to the activities that the characters were doing. In Hackers, the words are real words, but they have no connection whatsoever to what the hackers are actually hacking. The worm eats a few cents from each transaction. No one's caught it because the money isn't really gone. It's just data being shifted around. And when the worm's ready, it zips out with the money and erases its track. Joey got cut off before he got to that part. Check it out. By this point, it's already running at what? Twice the speed is when it started. Right, and at this rate, it ends its run in... Two days. Uh, judging by this segment alone, man, it's already eaten about... 21.8 million bucks, man. Whoever wrote this needs somebody to take the fall. And that's Freak, and that's Joey, and that's us. We gotta get the rest of the file so we can find out where the money is going before the worm disappears so we can find out who created it. I know, I know who wrote it. What? This Ellingson security creep. I gave him a copy of the disc you gave me. What? You what? Didn't know what was on it. Oh, man. It's universally stupid, man. Yo, man, you an amateur, man. I think it's jumbled. I mean, there are things like in the climax, there's like a cookie monster virus where like a cookie monster starts eating the computer and you're like, like watching it. I was just like, what? That's dumb. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But that was like actually a real virus. So there are things like that that are real in here. I just don't think that they're integrated quite in a way that like, like, obviously, we only know that from like researching it. It doesn't feel organic to this story. It just feels like what? Why is there like a cookie monster suddenly Mm -hmm. appearing? And also like, not to belabor it too much, but this movie kind of treats the act of hacking as akin to a game of Battleship. (laughs) <laughs> Where like you you hack someone else's computer, and yeah. you you attacked their B three, and <laughs> boom, they went down. Aside from the VR silly graphics of it, the fact that hacking was made into a one-on-one shooting game with another hacker somewhere else was just very very funny to me. I agree. I like I said, watched this a second time uh, (laughs) because I wanted to drink it in a little bit more, um, and also (laughs) confirm that I had not just had a heroin freakout. It's good to verify that, I guess. Can you confirm? Does Matthew Lillard have four or five pigtails? So many pigtails. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew Lillard in this movie looks like a live-action cartoon. I noticed some strange fashion statistics here. Thirty percent of the people in this movie are wearing John Lennon sunglasses. At any given point. Oh my god. And Matthew Lillard wears them 100% of the time. (laughs) But the lenses on his sunglasses always seem to keep getting smaller and smaller over the course of the movie. Oh, everyone is wearing weird sunglasses all the time. This is just like the movie of weird sunglasses. Was this sponsored by the Sunglass Hut? (laughs) I don't think the Sunglass Hut would sell this this weird 
This is very fringe <laughs> eyewear. Maybe not. And like fashion wise also, at least 50% of the people in this movie are wearing overalls at any given point. <laughs> when it also seems like they switch clothes a lot. And there's like a whole yes. like plot where like Angelina Jolie wants to make Johnny Lee Miller wear a dress if like they he loses a bet and then she like imagines him in this like weird red lingerie. And then in the end she is wearing a dress, but it's like not really a dress. It's just like a I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's just a very strange outfit as almost everything she wears is. <laughs> and then there's a scene where she's wearing like an oversized hockey jersey and <laughs> really Kevin Smithing it. Matthew Lillard is wearing like a crop top, which he's wearing a, a lot of times in pigtails and he has, you know, quite an interesting sense of fashion. Yeah. It's, it's like, did they switch clothes like earlier? Like, is, was that part of the story? The, the fashion is, is pretty bizarre, but I ended up developing a little bit more appreciation for this movie after, you know, reading about it a little bit more and watching it again, just like for depicting this kind of offbeat culture in an interesting way. Like I think the corporate plot of this movie is dumb pretty much like all the fisher (laughs) steven stuff i know we'll talk about that more in a a moment but like there are some things about like the teen story that i think it actually could have just like focused on like teen hacker culture or like they could have been like into tech they didn't necessarily have to be hacking but i like that the movie you know explores a sort of alternative culture especially there's a character named phantom freak played by an actor named renali santiago who's a gay kid he wears cheetah print and leopard print together and I thought that was like an interesting for 1995, like depiction of like a gay character who's like, you know, a main character, like isn't like a total stereotype. And then it also had like those TV hosts who are gay and like wearing makeup and stuff. And so like for 1995, I mean, I thought it was kind of cool that this delved into like these things that definitely weren't like a part of like most teen movies at the time. So there's that. Okay, so I rewatched it too, and I actually really was interested by the Phantom Freak character too. I don't know if he actually directly says that he's gay, but his character is very intentionally queer coded, like even up to his name itself. And freaking, like PH, spelled with a PH instead of an F, is actually what that character does, which is hacking phone systems specifically. And he does that throughout the movie. And I thought that character actually was kind of the most interesting in terms of someone who's doing an actual recognizable form of hacking and also like someone who is queer coded. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought he was very entrancing and alluring and I want to have all his babies in retrospect. (laughs) Oh my. I did not know. And I don't remember if I connected to that character at all when I was growing up. And yeah, the party host twins (laughs) are also interesting, but the movie stops itself short of ever actually delving into any of those characters in any depth. It doesn't really give them much to do outside of servicing the direct plot lines. So Chris, although I agree with you to the extent that it's cool that there were these characters in it that were very clearly queer-coded, it just didn't really do enough with them to make them interesting and to dramatize anything about it. Like, that's the thing. As fashion-forward as all of these characters are, like, there's very little actual drama in this movie. Much of what happens in this movie is just people sitting in various rooms, staring at various screens. But the storyline that they attempt to, like, concoct from that is somewhere between, like, Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell in terms of how, like, epic and large-scale it is. You guys are way too kind in this movie. It's total trash. <laughs> oh, I, I thought I was pretty nearing the trash term, but yeah, no, Becky, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. I really liked Angelina Jolie's lips and I liked her pixie cut. <laughs> it's true. Her haircut was great. Um, I want to ask, what is Pendulette doing in this movie for <laughs> 10, 10 words of dialogue? Collecting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Exactly. He was more like he was just walking through the set and they're like, hey, Pendulette, you want to say two lines of dialogue? That, it was it, bizarre. That was actually funny to me, though, because I could feel like there were a million movies that either Penn or Gillette or both kind of did that in. I feel like, especially at this time, they were such a household name. They were kind of like 
one of those entertainment duos who would just do a teeny cameo in something. It was bizarre. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were in that Spielberg <laughs> CD-ROM game that I had. Oh, I'm to. sure they were. I mean, that just added to the insanity of this movie. I was like, sure, pe- but, uh, half of a magician <laughs> pair. Why not? <laughs> well, and Mark Anthony, who is like in his like early right. to mid-20s as like an FBI agent, is just like... <laughs> Like he just like looks the same age as you know, and literally was the same age as like a lot of the teen characters. So it was like very bizarre that he was law enforcement in this movie, and it was a Keanu Reeves level performance. I wanted to talk about the there was one aspect about the hacking and like about how the characters approach this that I actually did find somewhat interesting. Again, I don't think the movie like it, it dramatizes it very well and I don't think the movie does anything to kind of like delve into it more. Um, but it occurred to me, especially after the second time watching it, that this movie treats hacking like it's a literal drug trip. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest example that stood out to me of this was Jesse Bradford plays the young outcast wannabe who's like trying his damnedest to like get into the cool kids hacker club. Like he's bugging the freak to like give him a hacker name and he's like doing this hack to try to like prove himself. So he hacks into this holographic cyber computer and he copies five files from a folder called trash and he basically has a full on fucking hallucinatory trip. It must be some real garbage and it's definitely like completely implied to be a drug experience to the extent that while he's like copying these hacked files to a floppy disk like on his computer so that he has proof of this hack his mom bursts into the room and he <laughs> immediately starts spraying air freshener in the room before letting her in <laughs> and i didn't like notice what that detail was or what it meant until the second time watching it but it's like no it's like treating it like the mom's trying to come into the room while he's like smoking a bong or something like that <laughs> and i thought that was surprising clever for such a dumb movie and made me kind of lament that this movie is as trashy and dumb as it is because that's actually kind of an interesting metaphor and I can certainly see how like in a movie that had more character development that kind of analogy would be really powerful and have something really interesting to say both about that technology and about the human experience. Yeah that strikes me as like maybe something that was wrong with the movie and its marketing because I feel like I always got a druggy vibe from this like a heroin chic vibe from this movie and maybe even thought it kind of was a drug movie like a train spotting kind of movie you know there's not literally anything about drugs at all but it's like it's very like conflating rave culture and and fashion with like hacking which i'm not really sure have that much to do with each other (laughs) um and so yeah i mean i feel like the movie is a little confused it's like it's trying to like convey this as like this cool like heroin chic scene that like actually like loses the point about like what hacking is and speaking of that mom like what is going on with that mom like she is she's the most minor character she has maybe like one or two lines but she's just like done up in this bizarre way she's incredible she looks like mrs fritz from the magic school bus oh my god and it's just such a weird choice to do for a character that like almost doesn't even have lines like just to make her like and especially like in a movie where you're trying to make like the hackers look so different right. and like like outcasts is like she is probably the weirdest looking person in this she whole movie. She looks like she stepped out of Greece or Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> Can we talk about Lorraine Bracco? <laughs> Can we talk about Lorraine Bracco? <laughs> yeah. In a movie where there's so much going on so much i didn't think lorraine Bracco would be the mvp of what is going on the weakest link the mvp of wtf right (laughs) get it why did i ever trust you get the file otherwise you'll lose all your toys she is outacted by Pendulette, <laughs> Matthew Lillard. Like, they blow her out of the water. She is the worst thing in this movie. It is insane. This is post Goodfellas, but pre Sopranos. Yes. Bracco, just so we're clear. Yeah, one of the reviews at the time uh, called her performance teeth grindingly awful, <laughs> which I have to say is accurate. It mm. is. 
And I love Lorraine Bracco. And I don't think she's like a bad actress in anything else. I, I don't know what happened here because for one, her character makes no sense. <laughs> And she performs it very badly. Mm -hmm. And she looks very bad. Like, she has this blonde hair that I must be a wig, and it doesn't look natural on her. It's a bad wig. (laughs) Blonde does not work for her. No. And, like, she works for the corporation that Fisher Stevens works for. And it is very unclear if she is his boss or his employee. Definitely is his lover. She is that, because they, like, have an intimate moment, let's say, (laughs) near the end of the film that... One could say that. ...is very awkward, but... (laughs) I mean, she's in a very different movie. Like, like, both the look of her, the character herself, and then, like, her performance is also just, like, it does not gel with anything that's going on here. Yes, and I, I was so glad that we watched this movie together... So we could enjoy her performance as a group. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely like the funniest part of this movie. Look, and like funny yeah. in, a, in an embarrassing, bad way. And you would never expect Lorraine Bracco to be that element. Like the showgirls level badness of this movie. Yeah. Oh, she even is dressing like she's in showgirls. There's a point where she's wearing a, a glittery magenta showgirls pantsuit. That's true. She has some very Nomi-esque fashion ensembles. It's insane. And also most of her dialogue and most of her role as a character in this movie is like just to repeat other lines of dialogue or exposition to people in positions of power. It reminded me a lot of Sigourney Weaver's character in Galaxy Quest, (laughs) who just repeats everything the ship's computer says. So I wrote down a lot of Lorraine Bracco's one-liners because they were just (laughs) so fantastic. The first one was Rabbit Flu Shot Someone Talk to Me. Die, dickweeds. A rabbit is in the administration system. Send a flu shot. Rabbit flu shot. Someone talk to me. A rabbit uh, replicates till it overloads a file, then it spreads like cancer. Cancer? And <laughs> cancer, brain, brain, cancer. <laughs> like she's introducing them to each other at a party. We have massive infection, multiple GPI and FSI viruses. Who's coming in from remote nodes? They're going for the colonel. Colonel who? The system command processor. It's the brain. Cancer, brain, brain, cancer. Belfort, what's going on? In short, Duke, a shitstorm. Well, yeah, so these are, like, terms that, like, the actual hackers that she's working with are like, you know, rapid fire spitting. And I think she's supposed to be kind of standing in for the audience, like saying like, oh, we don't really understand these terms. But the way she like looks, she looks like a Vegas like stripper kind of, you know, like a Versace dress, basically. Versace. And she has her like her accent, which I think is native to her as an actress, but it doesn't sound like a corporate person. It's like a kind of a Bronxy Brooklyn accent. And so (laughs) to the extent that I wondered, like if she had aged all her dialogue after the fact or like dubbed it it stood out so much yeah i try and figure out was like was she trying to be campy and just like missing like kind of the tone of this movie there's no nothing makes sense right like was that a choice because i want to give her some credit because she's <laughs> A good actress, you know, when she's cast in the right (laughs) thing. And I mean, obviously she's miscast anyway, I think, in this. And then also, you know, made up all the wrong way for what her character is. But it's it's just like wrong, piled on wrong, piled on wrong. And it all just (laughs) compounds into like a lot more wrongness. Mm -hmm. There's also a a very weird vibe going on between Johnny Lee Miller and his mom in this movie. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. It must be brought up. It must be discussed. Yes. (laughs) Like, I guess she's a single mom now. It seems like something, like, happened to their marriage and then she's moving to New York with him um, in the beginning of the movie. And, like, the first scene between them, he's in, like, a bathrobe that does not really look like something a teenager would wear. And they're, like, discussing his sex life and he tells her, like, he's still a virgin. And then there's another scene where he, like, tucks her in for, like, what seems like about a minute of screen time. Like, possibly, like, 1% of this movie is spent on him tucking his mom in. And it's just, like, it's a weird vibe. Like, I just... There's a weird vibe. There is definite sexual tension between Dade and his mother. And and it doesn't help that those two actors look exactly the same age. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. None of the high schoolers in this movie look like high schoolers. But, I mean, that's... It's it's a rare movie when the high schoolers actually look like high schoolers. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But in in most movies, the children, the high school kids, don't have sexual tension with their parents. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder why this movie even is about 
high schoolers because it feels like it's a movie about 20 somethings who like don't live at home and are maybe in like college or around that age like it doesn't really feel like a high school movie so if they wanted to cast all these actors and have them you know be kind of like cool sexy 20 somethings like I don't know why they didn't just like make the movie about that because that seems like much more what hacking would be about yeah and then it's also like in concept this movie is Dade's character gets locked up as a 12 year old and doesn't get out of prison until years later and it's like because they zip right through that and don't dramatize it and don't dramatize any of the aftermath of it we have no idea where he's really been where his head has been at you know like we have no idea what he really wants and of course I mean part of it is that he's kind of aimless and doesn't know what he wants but yeah again it's like they're they're are so many decisions happening and so many choices in this movie. (laughs) There is a lot of ground here where they could have taken it in a really interesting and very dramatic direction. I just think that instead they chose to try to make uh, lots of different primitive CGI screensavers and represent that as hacking. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some honeys of great lines. And by great, I mean lines like, that's universally stupid or... That's a seriously righteous hack. (laughs) Or Becky's favorite, there is no right and wrong. There's only fun and boring. There is. You said the worm was untraceable. Yeah, to civilians. But they're hackers. But don't worry. All we have to do is launch the Da Vinci virus, and then they'll all be put away. Launch the Da Vinci virus? You can't do that. No one believes the guilty. Besides, by the time they realize the truth... We'll be long gone with all of our money. Yeah. Look, there is no right and wrong. There's only fun and boring. A 30-year prison sentence sounds pretty dull to me. Who do you prefer serves it? Us or them? Yeah, so there's a, there's a sense of like trying to be cool, but in such a lame way. I mean, another one of my favorite moments was when they're doing like a handoff of a disc <laughs> to the villain. Fisher Stevens. And the way that the villain, Fisher Stevens decides like would be like the most efficient way to do this is to be on a skateboard holding on to a limousine <laughs> that is driving toward Johnny Lee Miller and to like reach out and grab the disc as the car slowly drives by. <laughs> and then it just continues on and you see him like going, going down the street. It's like, how is that the easiest way to do this? And it's like... <laughs> Like, could the movie possibly think this was cool? Is it possible that they thought that that was, like, badass? Or is it trying to be funny? Like, the whole movie kind of has this, like, thin line that where it's, like, it, it doesn't really seem to be taking itself too seriously. But then there's moments like this where I'm, like, I just, I just don't know what the intent was here. It feels like it was made by people who were all much, much, much older than all the target demographics, especially in the way that it uses that jargon and a kind of disconnected just, you know, as as just kind of filler between lines of dialogue. But yeah, Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like it, it tries so hard and in such a strange way to be cool and does not succeed. <laughs> There is lots of rollerblading, so <laughs> I mean, that was so much blading. very hip at the time. So 90s. Yeah, I mean, there are movies that are ahead of their time <laughs> and movies that are behind <laughs> their time. And this one is very of its time. Like, <laughs> I, I would have a hard time recommending a more 90s movie than this. It's like a heightened 90s where it wasn't really ever like this, but it's like it's trying to be like as 90s as possible and then kind of missing the mark. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not really sure that I'm my early defense of this movie is carrying through to the end of this conversation. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I mean, I did I kind of found it like a silly fun way to celebrate a subculture, but it's definitely not a skilled way to do that. Yeah, I think it's like 90s Tron. <laughs> So Hackers uh, pretty much closes our discussion of 1995 in internet movies. And yeah, I mean, the 90s brought basically more of the same kind of virtual reality shenanigans that we saw. There was, of course, The Matrix in 1999, which kind of took what Johnny Mnemonic was doing and just like did it in a slightly sleeker way. Other movies like The 13th Floor and Existence also were very much like about like gaming and very like weird sci-fi world. And there's You Got Mail in 98, which is 
Not really about the internet, but Not it, really. it's right there in the title. It's trying to capitalize on that very awkwardly phrased way of telling someone they have new email. I saw that movie in the theaters. <laughs> I did as well. I don't think I liked it. <laughs> I don't think I liked it either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I found was surprising about like all this internet stuff is just like for something that was such a huge part of the actual 90s, like it didn't infiltrate other pop culture that much. I looked into some of what like happened on TV with internet plot lines. There was a home improvement episode called Reality Bites in 1994 where Randy pretended to be an older gentleman on the internet and like had this 25-year-old <laughs> woman come over to his house and she actually thought it was like Tim and she thought it was the tool man. Shenanigans. Of course, the X-Files touched on the internet in the episode Too Shy from 1995, probably other episodes as well. Yeah, there were a lot of X-Files episodes that talked about the internet and hacking specifically. Buffy's episode iRobot Eugene from 1997, the first season, is considered one of the worst episodes of Buffy. And it is, and is about dating an online demon. And there was an episode of Roseanne uh, called Construction Junction in 1996 where Jackie got very addicted to AOL. And that was amusing. But basically, like, the, the thread through all of this is that the internet is evil and addictive. And most of these plot lines were about, like, online dating. There wasn't a lot of real stuff going on here. Well, I want to say that I um, asked you guys if you had time. There is an episode of the new show Pen15 on Hulu that's all about AIM during this time i think this show takes place in the year 2000 but it's pretty much like generally like around that time period what being online was like for a teen for people our age i don't know if you guys watched it but like it was like being transported back in time (laughs) Uh, like picking the screen name and going into chat rooms and hearing the doors opening and the dings i can't replicate it but just that whole vibe, like how people typed and like spelled things back then and the sideways smiley face because they didn't have emojis. It was like a whole way of talking and it just like threw me for a loop and it was just so accurate. You could tell that people that worked on that episode like clearly are in our age group. Yeah, for sure. I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but I watched a few minutes of it. So I saw like the scene where they're picking out their screen name. That's the weird thing about this is that we heard those sounds thousands of times they're almost like pavlovian <laughs> bells to mm-hmm. us absolutely and yet we like you kind of tune them out at the time like you're not you know like actively hearing them and like as we were talking about them and like the, the chime that like probably was kind of created like semi-randomly and like we said like the voice of you've got mail was not really given that much thought it was supposed to be like a demo but like it really did set the template because like facebook still has sounds like that and like our texts have sounds like that I i think now a lot of people turn these sounds off i certainly do but it's just weird that like the internet has its own sound and it isn't really a real sound like it, it's made up well now most of it is on your phone and you can you can change the sounds yeah to fit whatever you want so i feel like people aren't really having like as as universal an experience in that regard clearly there's other things we're all you know sharing at the same time but as far as the sounds go that's not something that's really like there anymore Man, but you said Pavlovian, and I'm like, yeah, as as soon as I heard, particularly the door opening and closing on AIM, it's just like, it just brought me back to that time period. And I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I miss my away messages. And honestly, like, I don't know if I talked really a lot with you, Seth, but I talked with Chris a lot on AIM in college, <laughs> and I can remember your away messages. <laughs> like- my away messages were epic. <laughs> I had some I had some real good ones too. Yeah. Just, a lot of really sad song lyrics. <laughs> they said so much about your personality somehow. Like Yes. Yeah. It seems random because it was just like a little message, but like I know I put like thought into like which one I would use at what times and like I still feel like my soul is kind of trapped in those away messages. Like that was the pure <laughs> me. Yeah. There are some times that I wish I could leave an away message. That just a quote that I'm, you know, thinking about a lot (laughs) or just like a song lyric. That's the other thing, Becky, is like thinking about it. I I do miss the concept of an away message. You know, it's like as much as all of these communications technologies have now pervaded and permeated every single aspect of our literal waking lives, 
Um, I miss the concept of being actively away (laughs) and actively not reachable in a given moment. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I think, again, it has a lot to do with the way that all of these things are designed mostly to churn out and sell our information that we're putting into them in order to advertise to us and advertise to other people. But it feels like there's something much more clawing and desperate about all these devices and all of these platforms now that they demand our constant input and our constant attention and our constant output of noise and information Mm -hmm. and there's something i miss about that like idea of an away message just like so pavlovian because just the the term just the words away message like give me warm thoughts and feelings about the song lyrics i would put up there yeah i i guess what i really liked about this this episode of pen 15 um which is a great show in general um and what i don't feel myself hearing all these stories about the internet is scary um is that i had such a good life (laughs) online and i have really fond memories of my time on aim and in these chat rooms and i feel like i got to know myself and i did meet people and and build friendships and you know me and jtt got really close (laughs) Regardless, um, (laughs) I miss this time of the internet when it felt truly anonymous, but also very open and just a life before social media. I, um, this afternoon, I started watching a documentary on Netflix that just came out called The Social Dilemma. And I was like, well, we're talking about the internet tonight. I might as well watch this. And it's just, it makes me want to delete every social platform I'm on. (laughs) Like, it's just like horrifying how much we're manipulated online and how the internet is really buying things and being on social media. Yep. And it feels like everything has been transported onto like five platforms and that's it. Oh, yeah. Whereas when I was younger, like I had my own website all my friends, you know, that were that had computers, like we had our own angel fire sites. (laughs) It felt like I had a lot of places to explore. And now it just feels like you go to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And that's what the internet is. And then Amazon. It feels more oppressive and and it feels like a business more than like a playground. Because it is. Yeah. It's exactly right, Becky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you were saying that, like, I mean, we know and they, and they say that like there are these companies' goals is to like get you to watch more YouTube or spend more time on Facebook. And, you know, Facebook is constantly like putting an extra feature like, oh, we can do this too. Like you could do this on Facebook too. And it is interesting that we're talking about like away messages and the fact that like at a time we actually would go away, like the internet was meant to be (laughs) something that (laughs) was like part of our life, but we would like not always, like sometimes you would go do something else. And I do think there's something kind of lost in that. Like I'm away, I'm going to put up like my hot pink font with my favorite, you know, Buffy Buffy quote quote or song (laughs) lyric And I'm off doing something else. And like the sound of that door opening was like exciting because someone was coming online. Like you had to wait for them to come online. They weren't just like always there for you Mm -hmm. to talk to. It was like you had a list of like who is there right now. And those are the people that you would talk to. And I think there is something about like scarcity that made that so much more appealing. And now we're, yeah, like, I mean, we, we talked about at the beginning, our lives are like almost a hundred percent on the internet and we can do pretty much everything and especially right now have to like even things that used to not be online, like a workout or something like people are now doing that over zoom because that's the only way you can do it. And it's just, this episode was kind of fun to think about a time when like the internet could be exciting and a fun thing that you would like do for a while and then stop doing instead of just something that's like always there. Yeah. So it's horrible now. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. get off the internet <laughs> I was trying not to hit a downer note at the end of this but this all really makes me want to fucking log off <laughs> it does you know on that note follow us on social media <laughs> listen, download all of our episodes and listen to them subscribe to our Patreon <laughs> give us likes and subscribes and shares <laughs> Tweet us. Oh God. Share that on Instagram. Don't do any of that. Don't don't do it, guys. Just go go out. Go outside. Take a walk. Leave your phone at home, please.
And that's all the cyber surfing we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast on our next episode. That was the first thing that came to mind. You didn't give me any time to think. It was perfect. It was perfect, though. Choose by Taffy. Choose by Taffy. Go Taffy. We're going to take on the most cheerful movie of all time. Requiem for a dream. It will truly fit our, our mood in 2020. Nice mood. Yeah. We're, we're picking the uh, closest movie there is to a mood of the year. And that would be Requiem for a dream. So please join us for that Yay. next time. Until that absolute mood, the When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. You can like, share, and follow us on all the hell sites we mentioned before. Don't do it! And subscribe to <laughs> us and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and anywhere else you get your podcast product. And finally, help us make more episodes of this show by contributing to us at patreon.com slash young. I have been Beyond Burgers. I'm fade in. No, you weren't. What? <laughs> I changed it. And I'm still Angela Bennett. You're still Ruth Marks. Don't you lie to me. <laughs> Shh. Shh. <laughs>